Amen. Church family, what a day to be together. I see a few maroon shirts out there today. It's because for those of us who have ties to College Station, we uh, had something to be excited about and not ashamed of. Um, no, I, it's good. Hey, I don't know if you've looked around, church family, but it is all the rage in culture today to be angry. Obviously, there's a pun intended there. You don't have to laugh, but it, it, that's, that's, if you look around everywhere you find in society today, it is it's just anger. And it seems as if even in the last decade, that anger has picked up, has furthered, has become all the more. People are just angry. You cannot go to any pocket of society and not find anger. And church family, there's a real challenge for you and I as followers of, of Christ with anger and how anger impacts how we follow Christ. And anger doesn't have to just be explosive. Anger can be something just deeply seated, held behind the veneer of a very soft and quiet face. But anger can impact all of us. So I want to invite you, if you've got your Bible, we're going to pick back up in James. Pick back up in James 1. If you don't have a Bible or if you forgot your Bible this morning or if your phone's too distracting, please use the Pew Bible in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love you to take that as a gift. And you can turn to page 1071 in your Pew Bible and It'll actually be up on the screen as well. So listen to what it says. James chapter 1, verse 19 is where we're going to pick up. James 1, 19. This you know, my beloved brethren. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve, it does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore... Putting aside, taking off all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, all the prevalent wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. James is writing, remember, to a group of believers who came to faith in Christ, uh, likely in the days after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Uh, if their families did not come to faith in Christ, then, then as, uh, they, they would be facing social ostracization from their families, for they are no longer good Jews in the eyes of Jerusalem. Not only that, but persecution has broken out, and as persecution has broken out, they have been scattered. Some of them may have been fined. Some of them are readjusting, picking up livelihood in life and, and moving in new ways. And he writes to them, and we saw last week as he's been walking through this passage on trial that the one is blessed who perseveres, that do not be deceived. God is not tempting. And, and then he says last week, and he makes sure they understand, God is every good and perfect thing has its origin from God. Why? Because God is good. And, and he really focused in what we saw last week is, is the, the, the primary goodness of God is seen in the salvation. It says in verse 18, in the exercise of God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that it pleased God, it delighted God to seek to save sinful men and women born and broken, in, uh, born into this world, broken by sin. It delighted God to save. And it came through the word of truth. And he says, this you know. You know this. You know this truth, 
My beloved brethren, you know that God has delighted to save you. You know that God is a, a giver of good gifts. You know this. So even as you face these circumstances, you understand that God is up to a good work. And he says, this you know, my beloved brethren. I mentioned several weeks ago, James, the more we go through it, is going to start to step on our toes more and more. In fact, this week and next week, we'll begin the, the heavily standing on our toes. And so he uses that phrase, my beloved br brothers, again, to remind that even though these words will pierce, even though these words will challenge us, they're not coming from some high off place of, of, of anger, of personal frustration. They come from one who loves them deeply, who is driven by the very love of God. And here's what he says. In light of you knowing this, he says this, but everyone must be eager to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He uses proverbial saying to say this, everyone must be. There's, there's the first command we come to. Everyone must be, present tense, meaning all of us, every individual believer and all of us who comprise the local congregation of a local church. So those of us here at First Baptist Pflugerville, we, we are called, we must be, present tense, at all times, active voice, a choice we make out of our own will by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within. Imperative. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. We must prove, we must find ourselves to be people who are quick to hear, eager to hear. It's a word that speaks of moving rapidly to something. And it's, it's talking less about what the action looks like than the attitude behind it. We must be, prove to be people that in all aspects of life, whether it's with each other, whether if it's out in various places in the world, especially in this context, as it relates to the very Word of God, we should be eager, quick, rapid to hear. Not just to hear it as if we listen to it, but to hear, to listen with intent, to take it in. There should be an eagerness of our spirit. It's the same word Paul, uh, that Luke uses to describe when, when Paul enters Berea after the hard hearts of the, those in Thessalonica, he goes to Berea and it, he speaks of the Bereans that they received the word with eagerness that as opposed to the hard-heartedness and persecution found with the Thessalonians, here the Bereans, they are just soaking everything in. They are listening and not only that, but their eagerness drove them back to the Old Testament Scriptures to see was in fact what Paul was saying true. There was this eagerness. We should be marked by the same eagerness to hear. It says slow to speak and slow to anger. The idea of Slowness is not a sluggishness. Probably maybe to me it means, hey, Wes, slow your speech down. But that's not the primary idea is of sluggishness. It's the idea of a hesitancy, a restraint, that when it comes to opening our mouths and using words, when it comes to anger, there should be a hesitancy, there should be a caution against a hasty reaction, a hasty word, a hasty yielding to the emotion of anger and frustration that arises at 
whatever circumstance or situation, that we should be marked by a slowness, a caution, a hesitancy. And and all of this has a backdrop, has a backdrop in the Old Testament. Proverbs 14 says, he who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the center of fools even when speaking about how we approach God. Ecclesiastes 5 tells us to guard our steps as we go near to the house of God to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools. It says, do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter before God because God is in heaven and we are on earth. So let your words be few. And it's not as statement of of saying that God doesn't want to hear what's on the heart, but it's this reality of you and I as people can be prone to be hasty in what we say, hasty in what we think, and all of a sudden dominate and and, and control the conversation. Even in in rabbinical literature, here's, it's not in Scripture, but this is from those who studied Scripture, even a fool, as long as he keeps silent, is regarded as wise. There's this idea James draws in, this this overwhelming, and we'll see this week, we're about to turn and and really pick up on the anger aspect. Next week, we'll see more on the quick to hear and and slow to speak. But he gives this idea that there should be an eagerness amongst us, an eagerness and attitude to hear, to listen, to hear each other, to listen, to hear the Word of God. There should be a hesitancy, a caution. And notice, it doesn't say never speak, and it doesn't say never be angry. It says be slow, be cautious. Be hesitant. Why? Well, look what he says. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. For the anger of man. Why are we to be slow, slow to, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger? Because the anger of man does not actually do anything when it says to achieve the righteousness of God. The idea is the anger of man never produces the kind of righteous life that God expects of those who know Him by grace through faith. The anger of man, no matter how much we want to dress it, in really good-sounding religious language, the anger of man never produces the kind of righteous life that God expects to be born and produced in the life of His children. It does not do it. I say, well, what is, what is then the anger of man? Because here's the key. It doesn't just say, for anger does not produce. It says, for the anger of man. Now, that word for anger in the Greek, there's two primary words, and if you will, one, one refers more to the outbursts of anger, the loud expression, it's seemingly out of nowhere, passion that explodes out like a volcano. That's not this word. This word is the word for anger that describes more of a, a settled inward disposition. It describes something where if I possess this kind of anger, there is an awareness. It didn't just come out of nowhere and then I go, ooh, I'm so sorry, I don't know where that came from. No, 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 I am aware of this anger. I have, in fact, I have given this anger a place to reside. There is a deliberateness with this anger. This is, this is the kind of 
anger that this word describes, it can express itself by grumbling to God or complaining against others, but it's primarily an attitude of resistance and even rebellion as it takes root. And it says this anger of man. Well, what is the anger of man, church family? Well, the anger of man, it's condemned all throughout Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, it's condemned all throughout Scripture. We find the anger of man can be driven by personal affront. You wronged me, I feel angry, and I'm going to hold that anger and allow it to drive my reactions. Is that not uh, the definition of road rage? You cut me off, or not you cut me off, you're driving five under the speed limit and I want to drive 40 over, how dare you? You've affronted me, and now I allow that anger to build in, and it, it seeps out. Or what about workplace retaliation? My coworker, they've slowly been undermining me. They take credit for things that aren't, and I just continue uh, to feel this anger and frustration, and I just continue to, to hold it, and all of a sudden, that anger leads me to begin thinking and moving in ways that are driven by immaturity and self-centeredness and entitlement leads me to be prone to overreaction. All of these things drive the anger of man. You see them in relationships, friendships, marriages. You see it everywhere if you're on Facebook. We tend to get angry about the wrong things. Think how many times someone's attitude and anger, why, why are you so off today, man? Because my team lost last night. We get angry about the wrong things. We get angry about selfish things. For anyone who's married or maybe if you're single but you have a roommate, how many times have miscommunications led to deep-seated anger in your heart? When if you were to look objectively, the only thing that happened is one of you put the silver in the other way up instead of down. This is the idea of the anger of man. And obviously, I'm, I'm using funny things. The anger of man can be seen all over the place. And James, he'll talk about their quarrels amongst each other, how, they, how the, the anger that has fostered and been allowed to settle, it has led to quarreling in the body of Christ. Instead of there being unity, instead of there being kindness in speech, and instead of actually dealing with real issues, there's quarreling and slander. Not only that, but there's, there's infighting. They're showing partiality to these in the absence of these. They're defrauding each other. And there's even some that think the situation faced by, by these believers here in the book of James, that there would have even been a temptation for them to get caught up in what we would call the zealot movement where we're being wronged, we're being defrauded. My employer employs me for 40 hours a week. He works me 80. He pays me for 15, and he sits right over there in church, and the church leadership always makes sure he gets the cushion seat instead of the wooden pew. Partiality. This is the kind of stuff going. There may have even been a temptation to go, you know what? We have no representation in the government. We have no one who favors us in the government. We're going to take it into our own hands. 
We're going to go march down in a mob and surround that guy's house and threaten his life. And maybe if we terrify him and bring a little violence, he'll give us what we want. There's some who think even these would have been temptations. These are all products that come from the anger of man. We, we see it. If that's what it is in James, we can see it today in our speech. And by the way, speech can be verbal or written. I say that because there's some of us who say things written on social media we would never dream of saying to a person face to face. We express anger out writtenly in public spheres. We would never look at someone else. Some of us, though, will do it face to face. We do it with our body language. We do it certainly with actions, the actions that anger drives us to take. Maybe that is cutting somebody off. Maybe that is. Maybe you're frustrated by something that anger builds up and you take it out on the car driving slow in front of you on pecan and you speed around them and slam down the pedal just in time for them to see you turn into the church and go, wow, what a image of Christ. Maybe we do it in our thoughts. Jesus is the one who said, if you have hatred towards another man, you are guilty of murder. You go, well, I've not ever murdered anybody. Have you ever hated somebody in your heart? Have you ever allowed that anger to reside, to become so deep-seated that it begins to taint every aspect of how you view that person to where there is legitimately a hatred for that person? If so, maybe you need to reckon yourselves with the words of Christ. Now, it says the anger of man. The reason we specify that is because there is a kind of anger that is appropriate. It's the anger of God. Righteous anger. When used of God, anger refers to His absolute opposition to all sin and all evil. It's not arbitrary, it's not capricious, but it is a, a moral and ethical opposition from a holy God to all things that are sinful and evil. And understand, for God by nature, for something to be sinful and evil, it's not just wrong morally, but it is opposed to His very nature and character. Because what is right is right because it is a reflection of who He is. But even knowing this about God, that there is a real anger for sin, we must not forget that even in Exodus chapter 33, when, when God causes Himself to pass by Moses and He declares His character, what does He say? The Lord your God who is slow to anger. Why are we called to be slow to anger? Because our God is slow to anger. He is slow to anger, and when His anger, you, you walk through the Old Testament, some will go, man, God seems so angry in the Old Testament. He's always pouring out these punishments. Yeah, well, do your, do your homework, and, and we've done that. If you've been in Wednesday nights for the last little bit, yeah, He's angry with their sin after two to three decades of telling them to repent. Our God is patient. He is slow to anger. Which means if we really want to understand righteous anger, the kind of anger that we ought to have, it ought to be an anger that is angry because we see the implications of sin, of evil, of wickedness, of brokenness. It ought to be something that, when I say slowly arises, what I mean is that is, and it's easy to go, man, I can't believe those people did that. We're going to go out there and show them a lesson. Well, I don't know if that's exactly how the Lord moves in His anger. But there should be something when we look out and see the evil and brokenness of the world. There should be a kind of anger, if we're walking with Christ, that we do feel. 
And the sad reality is most of us probably never feel that anger because we're so wrapped up in our own world. But also understand this, if, you're, if it's really righteous anger, chances are if you really are righteously anger of something, it's going to cost you. The prophets were righteously anger, angered because they knew the anger of God. And if you look at all the prophets, it cost them. Cost them peace, cost them relationships. It wasn't just them being angry about something they didn't like, and because they didn't like it, they read into Scripture and said, well, I don't like it, so God doesn't like it, therefore my anger is righteous. So understand, there is a distinction. There is a kind of anger that God has, a true righteous anger. That's not prohibited here. What here is saying is the anger of man, the anger where we bring in our own personal affronts and personal things, that's the anger. And by the way, even anger, it's normal as a human to feel anger, even as a person. People are going to wrong us. People are going to wrong you. And it's normal to feel anger. And Paul even says in Ephesians, he doesn't say never be angry. He says be angry, but do not sin. Be angry. Be slow to that anger. Do not allow that anger to take root. He'll go on to say from there, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let it go down and take root so that you do not open a door for the devil. And here's the reality. If you have truly been wronged by real sin, it is okay that you feel angry by that. There is an aspect of that that is righteous anger. And I do not want you to miss here. And if you've really been wronged by sin, someone has truly harmed you and done something heinous and evil against you, part of what you need to do is know how to walk through that anger with the Lord. That may involve pastoral counseling or professional counseling. It may involve all different kinds of things. Because it's often we've gone, well... That pastor just defrauded the church of $6 million, but don't any of you be angry. I think it's okay if a pastor defrauds a church of $6 million, we probably ought to feel a little righteous anger. But that anger can also, what we've got to be aware of, quickly bleed over into anger of man, and I'll be allowed to simmer. And that's what James is addressing. That's what James is watching out for, because this anger does not produce the righteousness of God. This anger does not help and aid in bringing about you and, and me into spiritual maturity, into a life that looks like Christ. So church family, here's what this means. If we really understand what we saw last week, that God is good, He is the giver of good gifts, and chief in that good gift is that He has brought us forth, that those of us who have responded to the word of truth by grace through faith, the gospel message, that He has regenerated us. He has birthed us forth, a, a new birth. We have been made and remade in His image. We have been reconciled to God. If we really understand this, then what James is, is saying today is that we must prove eager to listen. We must prove hesitant to speak. We must prove cautious with anger. We must prove eager to listen. As a church body, we ought to be eager to make sure that when it comes to how we relate to each other, we are quick to hear what the other is saying and make sure this, not just that we're quick to hear what the other is saying, but we're quick to hear what the other is saying as they intend to say. Is that not the challenge of all communication? I know what I mean. I'm using words to express what I mean, and you're hearing my words, but you can interpret them how I mean or how you mean or how any other one means. 
Quick to hear means that it should be marked by a humility with each other where we are quick to understand each other. But even more than that, here in the context, we should be quick to hear the Word of God. What does the Word of God have to say? What is it saying? We should be quick to hear. We should be hesitant to speak hastily, quickly. Because we should be cautious where anger can take us. We really understand what God has done, then we need to prove eager to listen, hesitant to speak, cautious with anger. And we need to prove cautious with anger because it does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, remember, if context, we're talking about the Word, then that also includes we should be cautious about when the Word of God steps on our toes and it makes us mad. We should be eager to hear the Word of God, slow to speak back to the Word of God. We should be cautious when the Word of God steps on our toes, and we go, no, I'm not really guilty of that. Ah, I'm not really that. We should be cautious, because any anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, understanding this, he goes a step further. He says, therefore putting aside, or literally the word is a picture of, of taking off filthy and dirty clothes. Putting aside, taking off all filthiness, grime, and all that remains of wickedness, which is an interesting little statement that the best I can put in front of us today is this. It describes just the prevalence of wickedness around us, both the prevalence of wickedness that we're, that we're prone to, our own sinful actions that we can be enticed. Uh, we, looked at, we looked at that several weeks ago, how temptation doesn't come from God, but, but part of how our temptation comes in our life is something is tempting desires within us that are inappropriate. It means the amount of wickedness that is so prevalent just around us which it is, by the way, church family. We don't have to act like it's not. Jesus himself said, I'm not, I'm not asking that you remove my disciples from the world. And God's fully aware of the world we live in and what we're surrounded by. He says, therefore, putting it aside, setting it down, put, do, being away with it in humility, in a spirit of meekness, in a, in a spirit that... that rightly evaluates who you are in light of God, which means this. What does it mean to be humble? Understand, God is God and I am not. God is the center of all creation. I am not. God is who it is all about. It is not about me. At the same time, understand that made in the image of God, I am of utmost value to God, which should drive us to even recognize more how it's all about Him because He's the one who it's all about. And how does he act? He acts in love to give of himself to save men and women made in his image. Humility recognizes it's not, it's not thinking less of myself, but it's thinking of myself less because I see rightly who I actually am standing before God. And in humility, in this gentleness, in this spirit that is willing to patiently endure hardship, that is willing to patiently endure challenges and opposition in this spirit that is willing to hold true, in this spirit, receive the Word implanted. Receive the Word implanted. The idea being that at the moment that you and I respond to the Word of truth, 
the gospel message. Maybe you think of Jesus' parable of the seeds, that as the gospel is shared, seeds are sown. And some of those seeds fall on good soil. If you've come to faith in Christ, then you'd be the good soil because that seed, that gospel message fell upon the soil of your heart and it, took, and it, it, was, it was received. You responded by, by faith to God's grace and that seed sprang forth life. Part of what God at the moment of salvation implanted in us. Obviously, He sends Himself, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes and dwells us, fills us, seals us. And what is what is the Holy Spirit's, what does Jesus say the Holy Spirit does? That He, one of the things He does, He's going to convict us of sin, He's going to encourage us of truth, He's going to empower us, He's going to remind us of the Word which Hebrews says is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce the division of soul and spirit. Here's what it's saying, church family, that when you and I, when we come to faith in Christ, that, that God has a work He is doing. He is doing it through His Word. Receive the Word implanted. God's Word is doing a work in our lives. It is, it is shaping us. It is piercing us. It is convicting us. It is assuring us. God is using His Word and, and the Holy Spirit's bringing to remembrance His Word. This is why we're to hear the Word preached. It's, it's why you're not just to hear the Word preached once a week, but we should all be meditating on the Word day and night. And what He says is, the word that's been implanted, that word which, that work which has been started in you, receive it. Receive it. A word which means to react favorably and, and welcoming to. Consider it right and proper. It's, it's the idea of here's what the word says. Here's what the word is, is saying about my life. Here's how the word of God is, is speaking into this situation of my life. Here's how the word of God is speaking towards the character of my life. And rather than going, mm, I don't know about that. Mm, I don't like that. Mm, it's an attitude that says, oh God, if this is what you're saying, it is right, it is good, and, and I, I receive it. I welcome it. Come, come, yes, come. I will, sur I will submit and surrender to what your word says with joy and gladness. Why? Because it's your word, God. You who are good and only give that which is good. Amen. He says putting aside all the filthiness, putting aside all the, the wickedness that is prevalent in humility, in an attitude that recognizes it's not all about me and I don't know everything. But it is all about Him, and He does know everything. So in light of that reality, His Word, I'm going to receive it with joy. Submit to it with joy. The Word which is able to save our souls. The Word, now when you hear that, let's pause for a second. Let me, before I get ahead of myself, we don't mean that, well, goodness, if I as a believer... Sometimes don't submit to the word, I won't be saved. That's not what he's saying. It's the way that tenses, he's referring to the, the ultimate completion of our salvation. The moment you responded by grace through faith, God justified you. You, you were saved. That justification means he's now working out that salvation in, in your life. You are being saved. We call that sanctification. And there is coming a moment where that work of sanctification will be perfect. And not only will it be perfect, but you and I will receive a resurrection body that is perfect, that doesn't grow old, that doesn't have aches or pains, that has perfect sight and perfect hearing. And that moment is called 
glorification where we will be saved. It's the holistic version of salvation. He says, as you and I submit and receive the Word, understand that that Word is what's actually able to bring and produce God's life in us now into all eternity. So what are we to do, church family? If we really desire, as we ought to desire, for His righteousness, if we really understand He saved us, not to just get a get-out-of-hell-free card, but He saved us to be reconciled to Him, that His righteousness would be lived out and carried out in our lives, if we really understand that, then we need to prove diligent in putting off the filth and the wickedness. And, and, and real simple, what does that mean for us? If we need to prove diligent in putting that off, this is two sides of the coin here, if we need to prove diligent in putting that off, one church family, we need to recognize how prevalent the filth and wickedness around us is. Just understand, it doesn't matter if you're on social media, if you turn on the news, if you go to the library, if you log on to the internet, if you just drive down the road and see the ads and store signs, you will see all sorts of messages that in terms of righteousness are filth and wickedness. We are all unbelievably exposed to the spirit of this age. There's very little place you can get away from it now. So when I say it's all the rage today to be angry, understand that has an Im We are constantly exposed to a society that says, oh, if you threaten me, oh, if you cause something that could inconvenience my life and my sense of safety, then it's my right to be angry and hate you. We're all exposed to that 24-7. Not only that, but realize how tempting that really is and how weak we are to fall prey to that. I think if we were around the clock 20 years and then we pulled up stuff that we as believers have said, and I'm not trying to only pick on social media, it's just an easy thing to pick at. If 20 years ago we went and said, hey, here's what we as Christians are going to post on social media in 2022 we'd probably be aghast. But we post stuff, we say stuff, and I bring this up to just say, church family, understand there is not one of us in this room who walks well enough with God that is not able to fall into the temptation of living by the anger of man. And if we find that, what does it mean to put it off? We recognize it. We own it before the Lord. We confess it before the Lord. And by God's grace and power, we remove it. There's not some magic trick. There's not some, you recognize it, you confess it for the Lord, and then you go, Lord, I'm not going there by your grace and power. And you set it aside. You set your mind on the things above, the ways above, because here's the flip side of this. If one side is taking off, the other side is we're taking off so we can receive the word implanted. So we can receive the Word implanted. So that we can respond to what the Word tells us is true. So that we can be surrendered and yielded to what He says. Embracing His Word, God's Word, His character, His commands with joy. I'll put it to you this way. I remember one time, slightly different, uh, grandparents were in town. It was a Wednesday. I had a youth thing, and I wasn't going to be at whatever my family was going to do. And I said, oh, I can't go. I, I have to go to church. And my grandfather said, you don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. Now, he, he was just, he was being somewhat playful for me, but 
But church family, we don't have to receive the Word of God. We get to receive the Word of God. It's not a begrudging defeat when the Word of God convicts me of some kind of sin, when the Word of God convicts me that, I, that I, I'm wasting a lot of time. Rather than, oh man, God's, oh, what, what a joy that the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit would convict me to not waste time. Oh, oh what a joy that the Spirit would convict me that those, those thoughts are out of line. Oh, what a joy that I can now confess them and receive what the Lord says, receive what He says, how I should think, how I should operate. And this includes even receiving the hard truths, church family. Because understand contextually, these believers were likely facing a situation. I've, I've mentioned it. I'm working hard faithfully. I serve a God who's just. I'm not being paid just. Because I'm not being paid a just wage, it is impacting the kind of roof I can put over my children's head, the kind of food I am able to feed them. We are struggling. We are facing hardship. There is a growing movement where we could just go and, and with violence taken and show these people who are, who, who are keeping what is rightfully ours. That employer who's keeping three-fourths of my paycheck, yeah, he's using it over there on a steak, one meal, laughing it up. And I'm over here and can barely afford a fresh loaf of bread. We're going to go sock it to the man. Well, putting off all filthiness means I put off the spirit of anger of this age. It's not to say that that's right. It's, it's wrong. It should break our hearts. It should stir up a righteous anger because that kind of injustice is wrong. But here's what it would mean for them. That rather than that anger driving them to do something in action that is a clear violation of God's Word, they would have to receive where God's Word says, love your enemy. And when you pray with your family over that not-so-great loaf of bread, you express your love for that enemy by praying for those who persecute you. It means having to receive that word. It means having to receive the word that we don't return evil for evil, but we return as believers evil for good. It's going to mean that I have to receive the word about giving an answer for the hope that is in me, not putting up a fight for the aggression that is in me. And as I give that answer for the hope that so marks my life to a world that is consumed by anger, and they go, why is there this presence of hope that I give an answer not with some kind of snarkiness or snottiness or arrogance or, well, let me tell you why the Christian world's views right and yours is terrible, but with gentleness, grace, and clear, firm truth. See, church family, we live in a day where there is a lot going on in our world. There is a lot going on in our world, much of which is right to be righteously angry over. But if we're not cautious with anger, that righteous anger or so we perceive can move over and just be flat out our own anger because we're watching a society and culture move where we're no longer safe and secure where our comfort's threatened. And part of removing filthiness means before I go log on to say all sorts of awful things 
spurred by the criticalness of my heart. I'm going to put aside the filthiness. I'm going to check my anger in line with the Lord. And I'm going to receive the word implanted, which does in fact mean, church family, we do have to truly and legitimately and affectionately love those who are our enemies. And pray for those who actually persecute us. We have to be prepared to give answers with gentleness and patience. Even as people are struggling to understand and even mocking what we're saying. Not just out there, but we have to be like that in here with each other. If we're really serious about God's righteousness, church family, then we have to set aside the filthiness. We have to recognize that the anger of man does not produce the kind of righteousness God expects in our lives. We've got to set it aside and receive. Submit with joy. We get to submit to the Word of God. Which, what does it say? Is able to save our souls. Brings life. Let's not ever forget that. When God says, Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not. That is never to take away fun and pleasure from our life. It is to keep us from something which says it's fun but wants to kill so that we can actually know and have real life. There is no word of God, command of God, there is none that will ever produce anything in us other than life. So the question before us, church family, is will we be known by the way we reflect the word of God? Or will we be known by our own malice and anger and frustration. The world's watching. God's looking to and fro to support the one who would receive his word. Where will we be found? Let's pray. Father, I know in my own life, God, anger is a tricky thing. We should know righteous anger. But it's very easy for us to be deceived, to miss it, to fall into our own anger, to all of a sudden be driven and accepting, and all of a sudden we, have, we, we become an internal fiery tempest, which no matter how much we want to couch it in religious language, it's not going to produce the kind of righteous, holy, Christ-like life that you intend. And so, Lord, I do pray, may we be a people, even as we see other believers around us who truly know you, but whose anger may get the best of them, may we be a people, Jesus, who with joy receive your word, who count it a privilege that we hear your word, that we can know your word, and a joy to submit to you at your word. And so, Lord, may that be what this time of response is. However, Holy Spirit, you are stirring our hearts. May we respond to you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus.